From the Financial Times in London, my name is Zosia Bonsik and this is FT News. A year ago, the British people cast a historic vote to leave the European Union. The surprising results sparked many hopes and fears. A year on, how has the referendum result been felt by the British people? How will it affect their short-term futures? We asked both experts and Londoners for their opinions and experiences. I suppose the feelings were a mixture of opportunity and, and fear. The opportunity was that this is something new and there's lots of sort of dysfunctional elements of the EU, so there's a chance to um, do something different. But I suppose the fear was, um, you know, what's, what's going to happen next and the uncertainty of it all and a sort of mix of the, the short term and the long term. I suppose little has changed because little has happened really. I suppose, I suppose the, uh, the sort of reality of leaving hits home, you know, once you've made that decision and um, Article 50 was invoked and um, you, you get the reality that it is, is actually happening and I suppose the uncertainty, the uncertainty grows. I was very disappointed in the result but um, I didn't have any, any worries initially. I mean I was worried for my children actually. But no, I mean I wondered if they might go back and do another referendum to get the right answer. But that didn't happen so I, I suppose I just mm -hmm. thought actually it's not my problem now. You know, you've got us into it, you get us out of it sort of thing. Uh, that, that, was, that was my view. I mean, nothing's really changed, I don't think. Um, I think it'll only change when Brexit occurs. I think that's, or um, possibly not even immediately then. But I mean, obviously, as nothing's, nothing's happened yet, there's, there's been nothing to change. Life, as far as I'm concerned, has carried on. Um, I think certain, it's made certain people probably more racist, um, which I don't like. And I think that's the only downside of it so far. I was afraid because you've just let a demon loose. You know, as you walk through the streets of London in the days that followed the result, you could hear a lot of genuinely very fearful people. You know, there was a kind of spike in hate crime, inevitably. And regardless of any kind of economic ramifications, that was kind of my main fear, really. But also minor irritations that go along with it. A longer queue when you go to Paris and, and that kind of thing just a kind of shutting off opportunity and, and freedom for kind of no apparent gain as far as I can see. My life hasn't changed in any way, no. I mean, you know, it, it hasn't come into effect yet. The political situation is, is different. The temperature of the country is different. The feel of the country is different, but uh, I mean, my life hasn't changed in relation to that referendum particularly. I was pleased, but a bit concerned. Just worried about the future, what it might actually entail. But I was all for Brexit. I think the older generation are for Brexit. It's the younger ones who have to stand up and they didn't vote, really. Perhaps that's why Brexit succeeded, because they didn't vote. But at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, Brexit should happen. If you could vote again, would you still vote for Brexit? For me personally, yes. And for the country? For, oh dear, for the country, what do I... So I've got to say yes for the country, yeah. I get annoyed that we are being sort of hoodwinked by European Parliament. I like a bit more of our independence, but that's why the, the older generation want their independence, whereas the younger generation are all for, really, are for Europe. I, get, I understand that. So I have nothing against Europe. Love the French, love the Germans, but I love our independence. Someone should have said from our government straight away, anybody living here in the UK from Europe should stay here and they have every right to stay here. They've made the decision, they want their life here.
I'm Swati Dhingra. I'm an assistant professor at the London School of Economics. We have particular research areas. Mine is international trade and industrial policy. And I essentially work on all aspects of international trade, including Brexit. And what we have done in the past is to try and understand, after David Cameron's speech, Bloomberg's speech, what we did was to look at what might be the impact of Brexit under different scenarios on the UK economy, as well as to some degree on what might happen to the European economy. And that's really what we've been building on all these years, whether it's immigration, whether it's trade, investment, all of those various aspects. I think the biggest thing that we've all already seen is that the pound has essentially lost about 20% of its value, which means that the things that we buy from abroad are becoming more expensive, which feeds into higher inflation for consumers. And that's already happened. We think also that consumer confidence and business confidence is generally down when we look at surveys, which also means in the future, some kind of economic activity going down, dampening is going to happen. And to some degree, that's already happening with investments becoming lower. In general, most economists agree that the economy is going to contract about 3% per year, purely on account of the fact that trade barriers are going to come up. So it's going to become much more expensive for us to trade with the European Union. But it all eventually boils down to what sort of new deal is there in place. So the estimates can range from anywhere between 1% loss in GDP if we do a Norway-style deal or a 3% loss in GDP if there's a no deal. But these estimates can become a lot bigger if we also take into account the many other ways through which we interact with the European Union, not just trade, it's through international investments, it's through immigration. When all of these factors change, there's going to be a very profound impact, especially on London, because London is extremely integrated with the European Union. Whether we look at the financial services industry, whether we look at universities, all of these things are going to get affected. Much has been made of the possibility of big businesses moving their operations to the continent after Brexit. But it is not large companies, but small and medium enterprises, companies set up by local entrepreneurs that make up 99.3% of Britain's private sector businesses. How did such entrepreneurs react to Brexit? Typically, in times of higher uncertainty, in times of economic downturns, small businesses actually do a lot worse than big businesses. And the reason for that tends to be that they find it much harder than to get credit. They find it much harder to plan their activities. And these sorts of issues are much more important for smaller businesses, which are really operating day to day rather than sort of bigger businesses, which have extra cash to get over the bad times. So I think we are going to see some element of that happening. What we've also already started hearing from people is that in the tech clusters, there seems to be less availability of talent because people are already starting to get scared about what might happen to immigration immigrants' rights after Brexit. So we're seeing some of those effects and those stories unfold already, which I think in the long term, we're going to know exactly what effect that has. My name is Gareth Austin-Jones. I'm the commercial director of Coco Rose London. We're a women's footwear brand based here in London in Wood Green. We design predominantly flats for women and our initial concept was that of a foldable shoe, which Jana, my partner, designed back in 2007. Ideally positioned to try and help working women on their commute into work. It was a single ballet pump that would fold up into a purse. And we've now gone on to develop many, many styles like sneakers and, and espadrilles, etc. 
We manufacture in countries outside of the UK. We manufacture a small range in Italy, but we manufacture most of our items with partners that we've built up in Asia, in China. So we import these shoes into the UK. We have a warehouses here, and then we pick and pack from those warehouses to supply our wholesale customers and our retail customers through our website. When the referendum results were announced last year, I think like many people, I had a feeling of shock. Then it comes anger and uncertainty. Uh, my first thought was definitely with our team members. We have team members that are not from the UK. You know, they're from the EU. Plus, we've got friends and, and family living in different parts of Europe. So you have these questions to start worrying regarding that. And then you come on to the business element in terms of, you know, what does this mean in terms of trading with the EU? is a very significant part of our business, particularly countries like Italy, Holland and Scandinavia. A great deal of uncertainty. And I think it's the uncertainty that remains with us today that's probably the biggest concern still. I think what else is worth considering is that Amongst all this uncertainty and these questions that we had was an absolute reality. You had a weakening of the pound to the dollar by about 8 or 10% between the day before the referendum and the results. And you'd already had a weakening of our currency leading up to the referendum where maybe some people were beginning to guess what that result was going to be. So, you know, overnight... If we were purchasing anything, we were finding that we were going to have a 10% increase in our costs. When I look at the costs of manufacturing our spring-summer 16 collection versus our spring-summer 17 collection, we had an increase in cost of around 16%. Business like Coca Rose, just like any other, is able these days to hedge currency. I didn't hedge enough, and so therefore, you know, you're left with a quite a large increase in your manufacturing costs. This is still a major concern, I think, for anybody not manufacturing in the UK. I agree that there are ways of potentially offsetting this in terms of hedging and also the fact that if we're selling into Europe, you have a slightly stronger euro. But who knows where the euro is going to be this time next year. I think what I expect from the negotiations is clarity. It's a plan. People first. So let's get this thing sorted out so we can resolve the rights of the EU citizens and the rights of British citizens wanting to live in the EU. That's a priority, and I think everybody agrees with that. I think then we need a structure and a framework as to how this is going to map out. I think we also need to be honest with each other to say that this is not going to take two years. I'm not an expert in negotiation, but in my humble opinion, this is going to take three to five years. So we require, or what I'm expecting, is a transition period, a period of we call it stability, that we can remain within the EU in terms of the customs union, within the free trade within the EU, whilst we sort out what Brexit is truly going to look like so that we have, you know, what I'm calling of like a safety net, not just for the British economy, not just for the economy of the Germans and the Spanish and the Portuguese, but for the world economy. This is a huge, huge deal. And we don't want to be rushing it with this, what has been termed as hard Brexit. Two of the issues at the centre of the Brexit debate were immigration and the rights of EU citizens in the UK. According to Ms Dingra, the uncertainty over the legal status of immigrants in the UK could cause a future lack of skilled workers in the country. So what we already know is that 
that's a very big priority of the government that they want to essentially have migration curbs. Um, the story from the European Union seems to be that they're going to think of this as that either you get single market access, access and you accept freedom of movement or you don't get free trade or freedom of movement to people. So I think there's definitely going to be some element of immigration controls that come into place. What we've already seen happening and what our predictions are is that in terms of sort of helping UK workers, that's not what stopping immigration is going to do. Because if we look at the evidence on what immigration has done in the past, EU immigration coming into this country has not really hurt workers, whether in terms of unemployment, whether in terms of wages, whether in terms of even public services. So UK workers haven't suffered. And what we do know is that immigrants typically contribute to the budget of the government. So we might see some essentially reduction in potentially funding available to the government. What we might also see is it becoming difficult for businesses to recruit people already in the run-up to the referendum. We know that recruitment companies saw a big drop in the number of applications that they were getting from the European Union. As it becomes harder for businesses to recruit new workers, we might see that that also has some sort of a damaging effect on the economy. How big these numbers are is typically very difficult to say. So which is why most of us are cautious about giving specific numbers. But what we do know is the direction tends to be negative. Hi, my name is Ivailo. I work in the city in a security company. I manage one of the departments. I've been in the UK for 11 years now. I'm originally from Bulgaria. With regard to Brexit, well, Brexit, I feel, is all around us all the time. Personally, myself, I don't feel worried that I would be asked to leave the country because I've been here for a very long time and um, this is not something that I think about at all. However, I do get a feeling that there was a lot of negative media attention directed towards East Europeans. This has left a very bad taste in, in the mouth of a lot of people. Also, I think a lot of people are confused. What does Brexit mean? What exactly is going to happen? And it seems like no one really knows what is going to happen. I also think that the way that Brexit has been talked about is very much one-sided and also the way immigration is being talked about is very much one-sided. British people do talk about uh, a lot of East Europeans coming to live and work in the UK and how they take up the jobs of the local British people. But they don't talk about um, British companies or West European companies West European companies going to Eastern Europe uh, where they are enjoying comparative advantage with the local companies and then they crowd out the local companies, the local producers. I'm a little put off by people talking, oh, East Europeans come and take our jobs, but then what are East Europeans going to do when West European companies go out and take over the market? So I think that that has been one-sided. So I said that I'm not personally worried about what's going to happen to me because uh, I already have my, my things set up in this country. However, I do get a feeling from a lot of fellow Bulgarians that I meet. Some are people who are well-educated, work in the professional services and are not generally concerned by Brexit too much because they're also very much mobile. They can go to other countries. It's not only the UK. Whereas people who work the not-so-skilled jobs they're more worried and the way the information is passed in the Bulgarian immigrant community as I and I imagine it's similar to 
the way it is passed in other immigrant communities is someone hears something and then they pass it around. So it's, I think it's called the Chinese phone or it's something when you, when you pass a message to many different people, then the message is, is lost. And eventually people do feel worried. People do not know what exactly is going on. People feel unjustly targeted by the media reports. They feel that their contribution to this country is not really valued. There are always going to be people who are going to take advantage of the system. And I'm referring to the welfare system. There are people who are always going to do that. But most people in my experience that I've met who are from Eastern Europe, they come to this country to work and they pay their taxes and they work hard and they work really hard. Most people would work overtime and uh, Saturdays and Sundays to earn more money so that they can send back to their families. I think most of the people have been putting in an, an honest effort, so it's a bit of a disappointment for them. The full effects of Brexit will only become apparent once the UK has left the EU. But what short-term changes do the British people expect to experience? And how do they see their lives changing? So there might be positive and negative things in the short term, but how is it going to end up in, over, the, over the longer term, which could be 5, 10, 20 years? And it's, probably, it's probably more my children's lives rather than me. In that it's, I think for me, it's, I, probably there won't be an awful lot of changes dramatically in the next you know, two, three, four, five years. But it's beyond that, and it's probably their opportunities and how they're going to live their lives over the next 20 or 30 years. My young ones, she wants, she's a, hoping to be a professional musician, uh, a cellist, and I think it will make life harder for her travelling and that sort of thing. It'll, well, there'll be more barriers, if not physical ones. Whereas now, of course, it was very, it's very easy to get around, but I, think, I just think it might be trickier for her. I'm a bit fearful because, you know, you don't know what happens, but we'll have to fight for our country. The youth have got to fight for their country. The youth have got to fight for jobs. So really, to me, it's a good future. But, you know, I have to wait and see what happens. What do I like to see? Just that I'd like to see our company thrive along with Europe and be friends with Europe. We're not against Europe. We just want our independence. That's all. That's all we want. Thank you for joining us today. For more Brexit news, visit fd.com Brexit. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.